Having trouble staffing up? You're not alone. Our industry is facing an unprecedented labor shortage, and tech will play a central role in solving that problem. Yelp Kiosk was built in 2018 for restaurants who couldn't afford to pay a dedicated host. In 2021, Yelp Kiosk is supporting restaurants that want to do more with less. By adding Kiosk, your host is no longer trapped behind the host stand, enabling them to assist in all front-of-house operations. Learn more about how Kiosk can help your restaurant at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash kiosk. Now here we go. If you know that you're not so good at certain things and you need help and you need people that are better at you than this, if you have that open thought, but you keep the same values that you have as a company and you mind your non-negotiables you set, like I'm not going to cut my quality, no matter if anybody tells me that that's better to do, then you can scale. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up on the house. I was born and raised in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. When I was in college, there was a guy that was just a little bit older than me, working the fry line at a small fried chicken joint that he opened on the edge of campus. That guy was Todd Graves, and that fried chicken joint has become the $2 billion Raising Cane's empire. Today, Todd and I run through what it takes to found and lead a restaurant to that level of success, as well as what he's doing to pay his good fortune forward. But first, we flash back to a simpler time when we were both two good old boys tearing it up in Baton Rouge. So, Josh, I understand that you used to bartend at the Gator Bar. I did. I worked for Frank and Jim for years. Man, that is, or was, unfortunately, you know, it's not open anymore. It was my favorite bar, my wife's favorite bar. We used to go there when we were dating. Sunday nights. So, like, when you were going to Cane's and Mothership, I was cooking your chicken. You were serving me drinks. That's how, how our <laughs> lives crossed, right? I mean, like, for those that don't know the Gator Bar, Leaving Baton Rouge on a Sunday evening, driving out into Cajun country on Alligator Bayou, the Gator Bar sat on a literally a alligator preserve backed by the Spanish moss, a Spanish lake. I mean, you couldn't pick a more Cajun South Louisiana setting and an old bar built out of wood and had so much character. You always have a good band going. And Sunday night, we come drink some cold beer and just enjoy Louisiana. And you were bartending. I love it. Oh, man, it meets every expectation that one would have of a bar in southern Louisiana. I still joke with people today. I said the way you can describe it to people is how you told people how to get there, which is you take a right at the big gator off the interstate. You take the pavement till it becomes gravel. When the gravel becomes dirt, look to the left and you'll see the building. And I mean, that Surrounded was Surrounded by swamp and cypress trees. It's awesome. And Frank and Jim were such characters. They were so great. Man, I loved it. It was so sad when... The whole thing happened with the Gator Bayou, and then they had to sell because they were really good conservationists for the area, and that bar was legendary. But uh, at least we have the memories, right? Yes, sir. Absolutely. So I graduated high school in 1997. So I was in college as Keynes was beginning. And I wanted to bring up something that I think is probably something you've never tackled on an interview before, but something that I thought would be super interesting to bring up. Your second location your chicken finger spot, Raising Cane's, was located Uh directly across the street from Bailey's. 
<laughs> right? Do you remember? Yeah, how do I? Yeah, absolutely. Right? And you've got this billion dollar company and he could potentially be living under an overpass right now. We don't know. <laughs> but I mean, very, very comparable concepts. And you landed where you did today. And I think that location petered out within three to five years, let's say. Yeah. What do you think yeah. you did right that they well, did? Yeah, it's a great do. question. And I have not been asked that. It's been probably 20 years since I've been asked that, right? And uh, sure. most people don't know that. And look, with you being in college in 1997, I was cooking your chicken. Like I was frying you the chicken at the mothership. I mean, I lived there mm-hmm. and we were open till 3.30 in the morning every night, but Sunday night, I think we closed it midnight on Sunday, but I was frying your chicken. And when we moved from that first location, I did the second one on the uh, the other side of campus on Lee Drive, Canes 2, the Deuce. I think we beat out Bailey's because, well, I know it's because of this. It's because I'm a fry cook and cashier. I love what I do. And so mm-hmm. I like working drive through lines. I think it's a blast. I like working that fry line in Canes. I'm a serving kind of guy. I like to serve people. I like cleaning up after them. And it was a guy named Joey And he ended up going into construction later and a really nice guy, really good guy. But I mean, I'm not speaking for him, but I think since his passion wasn't chicken fingers, I think he started it and did it, but it was mine and I live, eat and breathe it. And so that's why I try to tell people, students and stuff, teach classes and things. I try to tell them is you got to do what you love because if you do, you'll be successful at it. And I love chicken fingers. And I love your chicken fingers as well. I grew up on them. Pre-pandemic. I think that the trend in the restaurant industry was to be everything to everyone. And you saw these massive menus. Myself, I was just as responsible as everyone else for the trend. But you've always been super tight. Chicken fingers, coleslaw, crinkle cut fries, and Texas toast. And how have you fought that trend? I'm sure that people have tried to push you to create a more expansive menu over time. Yeah, I just firmly believe you should do what you're good at and whatever that is. And to me, I believed in doing one thing and doing it better than anybody else. And that's these quality chicken finger meals. For other people in the food business, it might be a little bit more of an extended menu, right? Now, when I start seeing restaurant owners that have a really expansive menu, then I try to talk to them and say, hey, are you really good at all these things? How many people are actually ordering this? Because it takes you off your focus. And so for me, laser focus is concentrating on that quality chicken finger meal. Like you said, we just have those items and with that delicious cane sauce and then think about my drinks. And so it's like sweet tea and lemonade. And so freshly brewed sweet tea, freshly squeezed lemonade. And so every one of those items I can concentrate on doing them exceptionally well and delivering that every day in a consistent manner across the States. We're 30 States now, but it's not only done well for that first restaurant, but now in growth, it's helped me and my team's focus to keep that quality when we have so many different vendors, right? You know, I used to have one place my tea came from. Now I'm sourcing tea leaves from six different countries around the world, right? And so I have a team that can focus on these items. But if I had an expensive menu item, I wouldn't keep that quality, right? That chicken quality. I'm constantly with my culinary team. But Keynes has an R&D culinary team. People go, why do you have that? You just have this. I'm like, I got to source suppliers all the country. I got to make sure our quality is the same and consistent. Absolutely. I was in a store recently picking up a catering pack for a family holiday. And there's this huge poster on the wall. It's a photo of you and your dog. And it explains the history of the brand. And I'm curious, how important has storytelling played a role in selling fried chicken over the years? How important do you think it is? Yeah, I think it's extremely important, right? And so... 
our industry doesn't have a lot of founders left in on larger chains, right? And so it used to be driven by founders. Lots of founders, they would stay with the business. Unfortunately, a lot of these great restaurant owner founders that build their business, at some point they sell out to private equity and then they're not really involved in the company. And that's when I start to see the slide on the things that made them special in the first place, right? And so for me, it's a founder-driven business. I mean, I live, eat, and breathe this. It's a statement of my family. It's part of our DNA. And I take pride in what we do. And I also get upset when we don't deliver. We have millions of customers. So when I get customer complaints on something we didn't deliver on, I take that personally. They spent their money at my restaurant and we didn't deliver 100%. So when you lose that founder mentality, things, the special just start to go away, right? Like I look at all of our marketing. I look at all of our giveaways we're giving away on Instagram and things like this. Like it's personal to me, right? And so telling the story and people knowing that there's a guy and his dog, now we're on Raising Cane the Third, that do care about their crew members they hire. The customers that come in, we want to earn your money and we're going to take care of and give back to our communities. It makes a huge difference. Well, I think there's a lot to unpack with the founder conversation. And the reason I say that is because in this industry and in many others, you see that the founder is the guy that started and he can take it to a million or he can take it to 10 million, but then he has to bring in a professional that can scale it from there. I mean, you are the founder and the operator of this company, and you guys are top lining like a billion dollars a year. How did you acquire the skill set needed over time to be able to get that done? Because I would also argue the growth from zero to a billion in 25 years, it's a really short period of time for a food concept. No, yeah, it is. And we really have done well. We're actually going to probably do 2 billion in sales this year on our 25th year. In August, we start, which is really exciting. I guess my greatest skill on being able to scale the businesses is knowing what I'm good at and knowing what I'm not so good at. And when you're honest with yourself on that, you supplement yourself with a team that strengthens you and the whole team as a whole. So I think that's what real entrepreneurs, I think, have trouble with at times because we're controlling sort. And when you found your own business, it's your baby. And so you're like, oh, I got to control every bit of this. And if you know that you're not so good at certain things and you need help and you need people that are better at you than this, if you have that open thought, but you keep the same values that you have as a company and you mind your non-negotiables you set, right? Like, I'm not going to cut my quality, no matter if anybody tells me that that's better to do, things like that, then you can scale. And the second thing too is you have to be able to recognize good talent and you have to understand people that they really are aligned with company values. And I've just had that gift as well because I've been able to really attract and then retain great people to help me see my vision. So I think that's the secret to it. Let's talk about that attraction and retention program. You have a restaurant partner program. We find ourselves in the midst of an epic labor crisis that in truth, and I'm sure you've lived this as well, there was a labor crisis in the hospitality industry prior to the pandemic. As an owner operator, there's very little I wouldn't do to get a new dishwasher on board, right? (laughs) Um, Very little. And so understanding that, I think that as operators, as owners, we've got to reframe what it means to run a great business from the employee's perspective. And I think you've done great work with this. Can you talk about your restaurant partner program? Yeah, I'd love to. Franchising is just not a way that I want to grow the concept across the United States. And it's not because there's not great franchisees out there. It's just, like I said, this is my baby. This is part of my family, part of my DNA. And our franchise, and we had some good ones, we're buying them back now. 
but they might be operating at, let's say, at 85 out of 100. And Kane's company operations may be 95 out of 100. Let's just say that, well, that extra little bit means all the world to me. And then I know if we screw up, it's me. It's not, oh, a franchisee screwed up and now I got to go through these things. So just understanding that and understanding I want to grow company, then who I want to franchise with in theory is I want to partner with my restaurant operators. She or he out there that's just working their butt off, working in their community. They're the Todd Graves of their trade area and that they're aligned with the same values. So that's the model I'd like to grow domestically with. And we are, and we're having great results. So literally I'm the partner with that restaurant operator and then we're there to support them however they need it, whether it's through operations or even their community outreach and things like that. It's not a real stock program. It's a stock value, though. So you don't actually sign a stock certificate because I don't want them to have that liability and all the things that go along with that. What's important is you raise the value of that restaurant. You and your family should benefit from that value increase and you should make a really good living. And so just with our sales and being so fortunate like we are, these restaurant partners either are or their future millionaires through their hard work, because you and I both know this is a hard business and you should be compensated accordingly. Absolutely. And you've certainly been blessed with high sales. I can remember when you opened in Irvine, like so far from Baton Rouge, right? And like the day you opened, it was gangbusters, like hour long lines, two hour long lines, and people were happy to wait for the food. And I'm curious, I'm sure there are a lot of independent restaurants, and Lord knows I wondered myself when I saw the lines. How are you able to build that momentum and that enthusiasm so far from your base? Well, we have Caniacs all over the world, which is exciting, right? I didn't grow too quick early on. I established a mothership, and then I established that second one on Lee Drive, and then I kind of took my time growing and building it. So you had this base that went out. Now, I think what really helped that too is my college being around the colleges, just LSU grads, just those grads have went to different parts of the country and spread the word. So how many grads go to Dallas and Houston? That's the first two places I went out of the state because I knew we had that LSU alumni base that was evangelical about Canes. They're Arcaniacs. And that's tapping into that source and doing that really helped it to grow. So then you had the Caniacs in Dallas and Houston. Those people relocate in other, other places. And then all the while, we were opening up and targeting college campuses to do the same thing other places. And so it's interesting now us being in LA market, Chicago market. These are just these huge markets. Well, now those folks are moving other places and we're hearing, hey, I used to go to this in Orange County. Hey, I went to this in Chicago. So it's great to have that momentum now as we're trying to grow the rest of the 20 states in the country. Working in the restaurant industry, there's always been plenty to worry about. And over the last year, cleanliness has been front and center in our minds and in the minds of our guests. Your world-class team and world-class patrons deserve world-class protection. Microband 24 Professional kills 99% of viruses and bacteria. It doesn't just sanitize and stop. It keeps killing bacteria for 24 hours, even when the surfaces in your restaurant are touched multiple times. And the EPA has approved Microband 24 sanitizing spray is effective at killing the virus that causes COVID-19. So you can achieve your most confident clean, touch after touch. Well, that would be my follow-up question is how strategic are the placements? Or do you feel like this is a brand you could literally drop on any street corner and it works? Yeah, I feel like we can drop it on any street corner and it'll work. And I don't mean that in a cocky sense. It's just a good fried chicken meal. Like fried chicken is 
universal, qualities universal. So my meal is that. And then delivering that same quality and freshness every time, there's a real niche for it. It's just our chicken fingered niche. And we feel that. Look, we have all our competitors. They'll go there on one day. They'll come to us the next day. I'm talking chicken competitors, right? You know, people are like, chicken sandwich wars, what's that doing to you? I'm like, nothing. It's just people might go have a chicken sandwich on a Monday and a Thursday. They're coming to Raising Cane's to get our chicken finger. I'm curious. I was listening to a podcast this morning and they were talking about all of the sourcing issues in the hospitality industry right now, especially related to food. Have you guys had supply chain issues? And if so, how have you tackled them? Yeah, I mean, look, it's been tough on all restaurant tours. One, hiring new crew, as you know, and then from the supply chain and just the same challenges the supply chains had staffing their places, productions down, uh, especially in, uh, it's exasperated in chicken. Because the hatch wasn't good. You know, catch is down like a quarter and those things aren't going well either. So there's not the hatching. The roosters aren't performing. All these things couple up and then pricing, man. I mean, soybeans and corn are through the roof and international demand for chicken is through the roof as well and pricing. So it's just one of those perfect storms right now of that and then coupled with the challenging getting new crew members. Let's talk about pricing for a minute because I think it's a fundamental issue within the industry. I think the rule is you charge what people are willing to pay, not what the food is actually worth. And I'm curious to know, as overhead has increased over the last 25 years, and Lord knows it has, has your pricing adjusted and will it continue to adjust? Yeah, I mean, it has to, right? And so in the quick service sector, you're doing well if you can make between 5 to 10%. I mean, you're kicking butt, right? And if you can go as low as 5% on a one year, you're doing great. If you can go as high as 10%, you're doing really great. And people don't realize you have to have really extreme high volumes to make that type of profit. And then you pay taxes on top of that. So there's just not a lot of room for margin. It's just not a lot of profit room. So if labor wages go up, if commodities go up, if any of your expenses go up, you eventually have to pass that on to the consumer because if not, and your profit margins got lower, it wouldn't be an ROI to go open another restaurant for the risk until you couldn't get banking behind it. So it always has to move on. So it just helps when you can foresee incremental costs coming in the future and those expenses. So you can stair step your price increases up to gradually pass those on to the consumer to where they can take it. Now, like, you know, times like right now, I mean, labor wages going up so quickly, you can't immediately just start raising prices because then everybody's not stepped into it. You have to step into it. And those are those times you really get hammered for a while, compression happens, and you just got to live through it. How has mentorship played a role in your career? Man, awesome. You know, I always tell people, they're like, they say, hey, you're a self-made man. I'm like, well, no, I'm not. I know nobody's self-made. You're a collection of what you've done in your life, and what you've learned from other people helping you. And I've never had to have a board, and not that I'm against a board, but I've always just had good resources and mentors out there that I can call on a regular basis to talk about the business and what I don't know and what I should know. And so, like, for example, Andrew Churn with Panda Express. I mean, Andrew has been a resource to me for a really, really long time. And I can say, hey, what's it like when you get to your fifth hundred restaurant, Andrew? And what happens when I do five different markets that way? And uh, usually has good advice to give. And if he doesn't know, he says, hey, man, I don't know. You'll figure it out. But this is what we saw. And here's some of the things to look at. And what's really great about the restaurant industry, I think it's a lot of down to earth people. I mean, look, we wash dishes and we take out the trash and we work fry lines and work drive through. So they're always generally really willing to help. And my network now goes across the industry with some of the best CEOs and teams, not only in my sector, but all across the food business. 
Well, and now you're paying it forward. Your latest project is Restaurant Recovery, uh, the show on Discovery Plus. Can you tell me what the inspiration behind that show was? Yeah, when the pandemic happened, our sales actually went up. Okay, and that's because we had the drive-throughs, but that didn't feel so good because we were taking that business from independently owned family restaurants that didn't have the drive-through format, and you're watching them struggle, and then you're watching them close. And so, and these are the places that I love. These restaurants have a soul. They have character. They have families that care about it, and they take care of their customers. And their food's amazing, and it's very cultural, you know. And so, when you lose them, they generally get replaced by high rise or chain. And we don't need more of those. We need to support those small business. So, I've done television before. I know the power of it, and I'm pretty good at it. So, entrepreneurially, I hired a production team to really go into ten different restaurants in ten cities and to really show what these independent restaurant operators go through to keep the doors open. And I was just able to help them get through the pandemic in a number of ways. And I'm glad to say they're all doing well now. And since it started streaming on Discovery Plus, when the restaurants are featured, they're getting bombarded with business, which is fantastic because they really need it. And I'm curious, for the independent restaurateurs listening, are there common mistakes that you saw across most or all of the restaurants that you helped? Yeah, I mean, most of these restaurants were predominantly dine-in restaurants with just a little bit of takeout. And so what I was able to help them with is to make them to-go machines, right? And it's not just overnight you can do that. But if you have a team like us and a whole production team and the Raising Cane's team, we can give you that support. And so really in 48 hours, we're able to turn these businesses around. And so there's a lot of technology that goes with it. If you have, we use swipe by for, you know, curbside pickup, mobile ordering, setting up a to-go ordering on your websites, you know, all those sorts of things, setting up specific areas to go and pick up from working queuing lines where you can go in easy to pick up the food, or you can bring it out to the customer. You know, there was a barbecue place that has a buffet line served by the employees, but the people wanted to see it. Well, okay, let's make it to where you come in and go easy. The people that knew what they wanted, they did it. But that's predominantly what we did. And we also helped them with a lot of outdoor space. Indoor dining restrictions were there, even clever ideas. We even did one in Vegas in a parking garage. I mean, and the owners never thought of it because they're like, why would you think you can do something in a parking garage? But we had the staff to really turn this really artistic, neat looking deal that people are okay during COVID. So those outdoor spaces really helped to get that volume in. And then lastly, it was a lot of marketing efforts, right? These restaurants are iconic. People love them. But restaurants have to be top of mind. You have to hear about it. So I was able to do resources to help them with not only billboards and radio campaigns, things like that, but also show them things you don't have to pay money for, Right. Food drops. Go into your radio station. DJs love to support these family-owned restaurants, independents. They love the story. Bring by food. They'll talk about it on air or they'll even put you on air. Instagrammable moments. Paint something cool. Have a cool artist come out. And the artist won't charge you that much. Paint something cool on the side of your building or inside. Then people start sending these Instagrammable things around. Get your story out there through social media because people want to support small business. That's some of the things we did. Well, and you also had an all-star team helping you out. How did you get Nelly and Snoop Dogg and Shaq and all of these guys to (laughs) help you with your effort? It's crazy. My life through this chicken finger journey I've been on, I've met some really interesting people and really resonated with some of them become good friends. And so Shaq and I have been friends forever and Snoop and Nelly and Rob Snyder. These are just friends. And I know the things we talk about, like you'd be surprised. Snoop and I don't talk about music. We talk about family. How is this grandbaby doing? And and then we talk about things we do in the community and all these people have big hearts. And I asked them, it was an easy ask and a quick yes to come out and help support. I mean, Shaq even flew in from Atlanta to help me with poor boy Lloyd's in Baton Rouge. 
took the time to fly down. And I brought them on not only just to lift their spirits, because imagine this family in Phoenix is so distraught, but then Rob Snyder walks in and has dinner with them. Like, he's hilarious. So that lifted spirits, but also their star power really gets some attraction. One, to watch a show, but two, for their restaurant. And we're seeing that play out now that these episodes have been airing. It's a stream on Discovery Plus right now, but it's also going to be airing on the cooking channel on Tuesdays in June. That's incredible. Are you going to be doing more episodes of the show? I thought of this just as a COVID response. It was one of those things I knew no, none of these restaurant owners could ever prepare for. And I'm like, they see some help and we're doing fine. But when you give, you get more back. And it's felt really good for me and my team to be able to help these really good people just through a rough patch. So there's always a hurricane. There's always a fire. There's always something that somebody couldn't prepare for. And so I'm now strongly considering doing another season. When the pandemic hit, I know for so many of us, we looked at our business and we looked at the industry at large and we thought, man, there are so many foundational issues. There were so many blind spots I had that I was just unaware of. It it all became so obvious mid-March, beginning of April 2020. I know that you guys did get busier, but were there any blind spots that appeared to you? We just kind of went into survival mode. But what we learned the most was to get better and quicker in drive through I mean, the demand was so busy. And then we're talking back to the days where it was essential business, right? Like they were just saying, okay, we know that delivery restaurants and drive through restaurants are essential. This is right off the bat. And so we saw this like monster I mean, down the roads coming into Canes because the people were just like, where can I get something to eat? And some were scared to go to grocery stores and stuff, right? So we said, how did we get better at drive through That was our biggest learning, I think, blind spot. We could have been quicker in drive through before, still delivering the quality. We learned a whole bunch there, and we're better throughout the backside of this. I think any restaurants that have survived this pandemic are going to be stronger from their learnings as well. Now, as you look forward, you are a fast casual model. I would say it's definitely not in that fast food category. You're definitely a fast casual model. Is drive through a non-negotiable for you now? No, no. We like drive through wherever we can put one. Even the mothership, the original location that you first started going to, I'd put on the end cap. But we go in line too where we can't put a drive through. And for me, I just think the demand's always going to be there for dine-in restaurants, especially right now, man. This is going to become the roaring 20s again. Like literally the demand for dining in restaurants is huge. And for us, we're going to go wherever and serve our customers however. We'll go places that we can only fit a, just a drive-through, no dine-in. We'll go just dine-in if we can't uh, fit that. I'll go just to go hand out boxes if that's what it takes just to get it to my Caniacs. Understood. It's an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. There are thousands of restaurant owners and operators listening. Do you have any words of advice or encouragement you'd like to offer? My biggest concern right now is us all supporting these independent family-owned restaurants. Okay. So I'm a chain and I have all the advantages that a chain has. I have huge marketing budgets. I have big, shiny buildings. I have all these ways to attract customers and keep reminding them of Raising Cane's. And I think for all of us chains are really established restaurateurs. We should really think how we can help out that independent restaurant because those restaurants make our industry better as a whole, right? They bring diversity of thought. They bring creativity. And these things we can all learn from to make our businesses better as well. So I just always take a conscious effort to tell my customers, hey, I love you coming to Raising Cane's. Also, the next time you're hungry, think about that local independent restaurant, these neighborhood eateries that are little cultural centers. We got to all do our part to help preserve them. That's Todd Graves. 
For more on Canes and restaurant recovery, go to RaisingCanes.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.